My guest in studio in New York City is Maud Barlow. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with her, Maud Barlow has been described as the Ralph Nader of Canada. Uh, are you? Good. <laughs> I'm here to announce. <laughs> no. <laughs> Joking. She is the chairperson of the Council of Canadians, and that's a Nader-inspired organization that serves as the watchdog command post for the anti-genetically modified food and water industries. She's also been responsible for Canada's prohibition of bovine growth hormones in raising cattle. She's director of the San Francisco-based International Forum on Globalization, has been in the forefront of anti-globalization movements targeting the World Bank, International Monetary Fund, and World Trade Organization since its inception. She also was the recipient of Sweden's Right Livelihood Award that is commonly known as the Alternative Nobel Prize. And her newest book, which I just read over the weekend, is really interesting. It's called um, The uh, Blue, uh, no, Blue, it, Covenant. Blue Covenant. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. And I have to tell you, honestly, that's the best description of where we are environmentally and with the water crisis that I think I've ever heard. I'm, I love what you just said, how you introduced this. I'm very impressed. Let me read a couple things to get you into this, all right? And I'm going to take you to several places, not just on water, okay? I'm glad that you're of a like mind. First up, this is from um, Jeff Don and Martha Mendoas. It says, a vast array of pharmaceuticals, including antibiotics, anticonvulsants, mood stabilizers, and sex hormones, have been found in the drinking water supplies of at least 41 million Americans. That's one thing. So people can no longer safely drink the water, and water municipalities cannot filter this out. Fluoride and chlorine doesn't touch this. And these are nanoparticles. Okay? That's one thing. That's one piece that I thought you would find of interest. The other is on uh, the, let me just see here. I had one more on water I wanted to give, but now I don't have it right in front of me. I'll come back to it. Let me just see. Oh, here it is. Glacier suffer record shrinkage. This is today. And uh, thank you, John Asia, for sending this to me. Let me quote this. Glaciers suffer record shrinkage. Some glaciers in Europe have suffered significant loss. The rate at which some of the world's glaciers are melting has more than doubled. Data from the United Nations Environmental Program has shown. Average glacier shrinkage has risen from 30 centimeters per year between 1980 and 99 to 1.5 meters last year. That's an astronomical increase. Some of the biggest losses have occurred in the Alps and the Pyrenees, ranges in Europe. Experts call for, quote, immediate action to reverse the trend, which is seen as a key climate change indicator. Estimates for uh, 2006 indicate shrinkage of 1.4 meters of water equivalent compared to half a meter in 2005. Those are two issues. Now, the average American may not appreciate what kind of problem it is when the glaciers shrink. Of course, glaciers provide us with a lot of our water. Let's start with those two and then go into the idea that we just take it for granted when we turn on a tap, when we're a farmer in middle America or middle Canada, we just take it for granted. Give us your story on water. Well, first of all, really <clears throat> lovely to be here. And yes, um, we have used, 
We've done two things with water. We have um, assumed that we had what I call the myth of abundance, particularly here in North America in the in the global north. So we just use it, abuse it, and we don't think about it. We can't imagine running out of it. And if we do, somebody will come along and fix it, import it. Some technology will be discovered, we're quite sure. Uh, we've also used water as a great big waste sink for our, our toxins, our garbage, and so on. The Great Lakes being a very good example. There are 360 known chemicals, at least, in the Great Lakes, and we haven't even protected the aquatic, the original aquatic species in the Great Lakes. Only about 3% of the Great Lakes now are, are native aquatic uh, life. The rest of them have been brought in by the deep ship with the, with the ballasts being emptied and brought in, um, you know, invasive species. So, I mean, the, the, the examples abound here in, in the United States, in my country, in Canada, we're the worst water wasters in the world. Um, and around the world. Simply put, and this is the most important, I guess, concept that I want to, to give you, Gary, and, and your listeners and your, and your watchers, and that is that we were all taught around grade six that there's a finite hydrologic cycle and that water can't go anywhere, right? That it's just, there's a certain amount of it and it goes round and round. Our teachers weren't lying to us. They didn't know of the human capacity for destruction, I guess, but we are actually interrupting the hydrologic cycle. We are actually running out of water retentive landscape by our pollution mismanagement abuse and displacement of water. Basic story, we're polluting surface water around the world to a point where many of us can't use it now anymore, the water that was used for millennia by other peoples, by ancient peoples, particularly in the global south. 75% of Russia's, 75% of India's surface water polluted beyond use. 80% of China's surface water polluted beyond use. They shouldn't be using it. All the countries in Africa, 677 lakes in Africa, every single one of them in peril. So when people can't use or shouldn't be using, often they do because they have no choice, when they shouldn't be using that water, we've used modern technology to pump our groundwater out way faster than it can be replenished by nature. Now, every day in the United States, over 50% of your water use comes from aquifers, which are being depleted. Or we take water from watersheds, rivers and systems and so on, or lakes, and we pump it to where we want to, to grow food in the desert, or maybe to uh, feed great, you know, provide water for great big cities. If those great big cities are on the ocean, we dump that water into the ocean. We don't return it to the watersheds. We build cities in a way that doesn't, that don't, that doesn't respect uh, the water needs of the of the area, so we cut down trees and we take away meadows, and so we interrupt the hydrologic cycle because when that rain can't find anything green to come back to, the vapors blow away and we create desert. In China, where they are diverting all of their water in the north, and I mean all of it, to produce all the world's running shoes and, and toys, um, they are uh, creating desert of a size of, of Rhode Island every single year, a brand new desert. They're actually talking about moving the capital away from uh, Beijing because they have so destroyed the water table there. So collectively, oh, and the other thing that we're doing is, and this is very important, is that we're involved in something called virtual water export, which is where you use your water in a community or a country, usually run by big corporations. This is mostly big kind of intercorporate use of water, where water is used to grow or produce something which is then exported. And we haven't taken that into account when we ask about water. 
amazing statistic. The United States is the biggest virtual water exporter. You, you export a third of your daily water out of the country, and you don't have that water to export, let me tell you, every single day. So this combination of pollution, mismanagement, displacement of water means that there are parts of the world drying up. And this is, the best image I can give you is that the earth is like an apple. It's still green a lot of places, but it's turning brown from the inside in a whole bunch of spots. And these are what scientists call hot stains. The Middle East, all of northern China, huge parts of India, Australia's hit the water wall, um, 22 countries in Africa, Mexico City sinking on itself now. And 36 states here in the United States are going to experience serious to severe water crisis within the next five to 10 years. Seven states, at least right now, are pretty well you know, at the water wall. Australia, I forgot to say, has hit the water wall. So I, I, I can't say it strongly enough. And, and, and South and, America. And South America, which has a water abundance. But in and 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 actually, the people in South America should have one of the highest per capita ratios of water um, availability, but they have one of the lowest because they have so massively polluted their surface water, and it's so inequitably divided. So that it's you know, if you are poor, you have no access to clean water. If you're rich, you have all the water you want. So is this an issue not only of, of deep in, in, inequities? I mean, there are more children who die every single day in, of dirty water in our world um, than of HIV, AIDS, traffic accidents, war, and malaria put together. It's the number one killer. Half the hospital beds in the world are filled with people who would not be there if they had access to clean water. So it is the greatest human rights issue in our in our world and, and kind of the, the first face of climate change, but also, I believe, the, the most immediate and greatest uh, um, ecological crisis. This is not cyclical drought. And most important thing I can say to you is that what happened in in Atlanta, Georgia, is going to happen all over the world until we and unless we start understanding just what you described earlier that we're not at the beginning of this process that we're right in the middle of a water depletion uh, meltdown. I appreciate your answer. Thank you. I was just in Atlanta a week ago, Thursday, premiering a program on PBS there. In fact, I was did a double pump from 8 to midnight, four hours. And there were a lot of volunteers who were there to answer the phones, and I just decided to use that since I went right to the airport to the place that I was going out at 4 o'clock in the morning, so I didn't have a chance to otherwise talk with people. But there were 30 people there. And so while the show was airing and the phones weren't calling, uh, I and I asked questions like, what are you doing for water now? We don't know. Yeah. Not a single person knew, yeah. but it's going to be taken care of. They're going to use See? more of the river water. <laughs> I said, how do you know? There's yeah. six states now competing in lawsuits against the water in that river, and the water in that river is lessening. And I asked them this question. How far does the Nile, the longest river in the world, run? And how much volume of water does the Nile put into the ocean today? No one in the room could answer it. The answer is None. Not a drop of water from the longest river in the world goes in the ocean. And that's coming uh, from a point of view of why not because mm-hmm. of mismanagement. So I'm concerned that the average American, the average Canadian, the average South American is virtually clueless about aquifers. The largest aquifer in America is in the middle of uh, America underlying uh, Kansas and Indiana. And that's 50 percent gone. It will be completely gone in 30 years. What are you going to do with all those people, all those farms, all the industries? 
All the golf courses. Yeah, well, we don't care about that. <laughs> no, I'm being facetious, yes. But but now we don't, now yeah. look at the, here are the crisis places that I'm telling people don't move to because it's not sustainable. Yeah. Florida. Florida. A thousand jo- new people a day. Yeah. Uh, Georgia. Yeah. Um, also, Louisiana. Uh Texas is is bad for at least uh, 80% of the state. The northern part is not. Oklahoma, uh, Colorado, interestingly Mm -hmm. enough, Mm -hmm. because it's already sold its water. Mm -hmm. You could actually get fined if you use water that is on your property, like snow, for your own usage. You have to let that melt. You have to let that be collected. That's the rules. You also have Nevada, New Mexico, South Dakota, Utah, Utah, and Wyoming, and all of which now can no longer be considered sustainable. And yet what does Arizona do, which is one of the second largest, most uh, populous states as far as new people going? They're opening up a gigantic water Water theme park. (laughs) So Americans have With waves so big that you'll be able to surf, and with a river that goes so fast you'll be able to whitewater raft. And and you have to, and this is McCain's state, so you have to ask, are we completely indifferent to what we create until we, I call it watching Katrina. Mm -hmm. Remember? Mm -hmm. For five days they watched it coming, knew where it was going to hit, and they did nothing. Mm Mm-hmm. And each day I'm telling the people, because I'm hurting uh, New Orleans, I'm saying, get out. Take a bus. Take a bike. If you get 100 miles north, you'll be okay. And yet, 93% of the people who could have left did not. The 7% of the people could not leave. They, they, they were going to be victimized. And yet, I was just down there. And, they're, they're, and there's Bill Clinton and Brad Pitt showing that they're rebuilding a home and I'm, I'm there, but I didn't do that little picture op tour. I'm there to walk every street, to look in every house. It's a ghetto. It is devastated. The one little street, the, the music street, they have some houses built. But it's, it's, un, it's non-sustainable. The next time there's Category 4 or 5 New Orleans, the entire basin will be completely surrounded. Like, like Punxsutawney's going to swamp it. I went up. I walked Lake Punxsutawney. Just, I was there mm-hmm. two weeks ago or three weeks ago. Why can't anyone see that we've got to, at some point, become proactive? I think part of it is that we have, our political and corporate leaders have adopted a model of uh, development, the Washington Consensus model of development, which is unlimited growth, more and more exports, economic globalization, more stuff as much as you can, um, and deregulation, privatization, do not stop, keep going, do not ask any questions. And as we run out of things, they don't know what to do because it doesn't fit with the mindset and the ideology that they have adopted. And this, by the way, is Republicans and Democrats alike have adopted this ideology. And they can't get off it. The old government, the former government, the Howard government of Australia is a perfect case in point. Australia, I was there. Last year, Australia has hit the water wall. And we are talking three to five years of water left for Sydney. Though when I was there in the summer and the spring, there were reports that 80% of the crops were not going to, to, uh, to you know, be able to be harvested because there was no water. There were stories, Gary, of, of trees exploding as the bushfires came towards big trees. They're so dry they would explode. People would run away from the tree, not to get away from the fire, to get away from the explosion. I was on national television, and this, this report, 
reporter said, well, what makes you think we have a water crisis? And I said, good Lord, as my three-year-old granddaughter would say, hello. I mean, you know, what, is, what part of this aren't you getting? It's because their government kept saying it's just cyclical drought. Oh, and then they said, no, it's global warming, but it came from away, so it didn't have anything to do with us, so there's nothing we can do. And they have done everything wrong, and they're continuing to think of themselves as one of the Cairns exporter, exporting uh, company, uh, countries like the United States, like Canada, and they will not deviate from this notion that it's full steam ahead. The United States cannot continue to abuse, I mean, just as one example, but we're like this around the world, to abuse its water and other resources in order to stay ahead economically, commercially, and militarily. It isn't sustainable. What we are doing isn't sustainable. But because it doesn't fit with the worldview that the leaders have here of the United States as this commercial and military superpower, it won't it won't get into the head. So they don't tell the people. What they say to the people is, it's a drought. And we're just going to we're going to find new ways. We'll I uh, think there's a lot of assumption that they're going to take it from my country or from the Guarani Aquifer in South America or they'll find some other source like that or desalination. When I did research for the book, Blue Covenant, I was stunned by the mil- billions and billions of dollars being put in this country into high technology, high level uh, water technology, water reuse, what's called toilet to tap. Uh, water. And you were talking earlier about the drugs that get into this water. I'm working with a group you'd love in Australia called CAD, Citizens Against Drinking Sewage, because they're being told, you know, don't worry, it's safe. We're going to, this is direct toilet to tap technology. Nothing's been put back into the aquifer or anything to be recycled. This is direct and you're supposed to trust it, right? Um, So it's this notion and, and desalination. Now they're talking about nuclear power desalination. There are 25 to 30 major desal plants being built being planned for the California coast alone. These are behemoths that use huge amounts of fossil fuels or nuclear power, which is water wasting. Um, they create a terrible brine that is put back out into the ocean, which is a mixture of the chemicals, the dead aquatic life, which and the salt, which the destroys water the water and the coral reef, and the coral reef and the and the aquatic life for miles around. I've seen photographs of the desal plants in in the Middle East from the from 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 uh, satellites, and it looks like a great big octopus that's released its its uh, mm-hmm. its ink into the water, as far as you can see. But this is this is the mindset is that we will not conserve. We will not warn our people that we have to live differently. We will not move to more sustainable agriculture. We will not stop polluting our food systems as we grow them and therefore the water. We will not invest in infrastructure. The infrastructure in this in this uh, country is crumbling. The federal government used to put a lot of money into infrastructure repair. They've cut back. They only are responsible for about 5% of it now. So they passed it to the states. The states passed it on down to the municipalities. The municipalities don't have the money, and we are dealing with 100-year-old leaky pipes that are dumping raw sewage into our system. So, Gary, the the situation is that we see ourselves as a species, particularly in the north, above nature. We're over nature. We can master nature. We can take water from where it was put by nature and where it's needed for sustaining not only natural systems but us. And we move it where we damn well please, and we dump what we want damn well please into it, and we refuse to see that this is wrong, even when the evidence is right in front of you. Like, I can imagine how angry the people in Atlanta Atlanta were, I mean, they should be angry at their leaders for not having told them. I knew 10 years ago, but just they, as you said about But, but they should be angry at themselves for knowing the contestant's name on American Idol and not <laughs> knowing their available uh, sustainability. If you build a house 
out in the L.A. area on a cliff because you want a perfect view and it's a $10 million house. And now your house is ravaged by fire or slides down the mountain from excess rain. Are you going to then blame the state for allowing you to build it? Or are you going to look in the mirror and say, what responsibility do I have? I'm tired of hearing people make excuses for people not paying attention to the actions that can only lead to bad things. I'm concerned that we're at a perfect storm. Yeah, me too. One, our environment tipping points, one of them is going to tip. Yeah. The likelihood that Greenland, a part of Greenland is going to break in the next five to ten years, and suddenly one night we're going to go to bed, and the next morning we're going to wake up with emergencies where the water level has risen anywhere from five to 20 feet, making about one-third of America's population living near the ocean, within 50 miles of the ocean, non-sustainable forever. Because you will pollute all the water, the aquifers, everything will be drenched. It's not that water will be above buildings, but when waters get into your subways, when waters take out the infrastructure underneath your buildings, all the buildings from South Beach to West Palm Beach and North Juniper, all those will be gone because they're all built on sand. There's no hard rock. I don't care how long your piling driven down with concrete is, it's resting at the end of the day all of these buildings are resting on sand. So when the water keeps coming up and the water table stays high, then that's going to erode and then you're going to have structural breaks. And then even now, even now, you can go up the coast and see swimming pools in the morning that have seaweed somewhere up the wall. That, that's how much is coming up. And all this while people are deciding not to look at that direction. It's like we turn our chairs on the Titanic deck so we don't see the iceberg we just hit. <laughs> All right? We're in such denial. And so that's one problem. So which of the, and by the way, I'm I'm interviewing all the world's leading experts on each of the 12 tipping points. And here's another problem. Can you name all 12 tipping points? I haven't been, no, probably not. Okay. All right. And you're an expert in the field. Okay? Now here's my point. I only claim to be an expert on water. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not claiming the whole thing. Okay, I'm not here, queen of the world. I'm, I'm not suggesting <laughs> otherwise. You, you, you do more than enough for what you do. I'm just letting this be an example right. that when people walked out of seeing an inconvenient truth or Leonardo DiCaprio's very poorly attended film, The Eleventh Hour, right. uh, both focused on global warming, people thought, well, okay, it's still controversial because I'm told it's still controversial. Right. Uh, and so it couldn't be that bad. Mm-hmm. And But even if something happens, it's not going to happen for another 30 to 150 years or longer. What about the dead zones? Mm, in the ocean. I just did film one at the size of New Jersey at the bottom of the Mississippi. <laughs> I know. What about the soil? Mm-hmm. I open with a shot of me digging my hand into a farmer's field and pulling up dirt and saying, what's wrong with this? Mm -hmm. And then methodically, I take people through the fact there's no earthworms, that it's uh, heavily uh, denatured with pesticides, artificial fertilizers, that 200 years ago, there would have been about 16 inches of topsoil. Now there's three inches that we're running out of topsoil. I also then discuss the idea that the, the genetically engineered crops that are grown there have never been tested in what they will do long term in human beings let alone uh, animal species, and that every time there is a flood, all the genetically modified crops are washed into the Mississippi, and when you travel the whole length of the Mississippi, it is 
more polluted than ever before. And at the mouth of this Mississippi, you've got the largest dead zone currently in the ocean. But do you know you got 220 other dead zones? Yeah. Do you know that 20% of the entire ocean now is dead zones? Yeah, and, those pla- and, the, and filled with plastic particles and that when are fish, being ingested. And when fish swim in there, yep. if they don't get out quickly, they yep. die. Yep. Only mammals can survive. They yep. can breathe out of water like a well or, or porpoise. Yep. So what you have is that's just one element of something that's not even a tipping point. Yeah. If I ask people about the conveyor belt in the Atlantic that carries warm water and cold water, they wouldn't know what I was talking about. But if that stops, mm-hmm. and it could, mm-hmm. because for the first time in world history, this summer, the Arctic conveyor belt stopped. Yeah. It wasn't Fred front page headline news, but suddenly that was like a quake before the big quake. Yeah. If that stops, all of Europe becomes an ice age. Fro- frozen. Yeah. Overnight. Yeah. We're not talking about long periods of no, time. No, I know. And when I sitting right where you're sitting we filmed him the world's leading expert on chaos theory in the environment and I said well weren't you the guy that said it would take a thousand years before Antarctica's Larson B shelf collapsed he said yeah and I said didn't it collapse 29 days later <laughs> he said yeah and didn't another thousand scientists agree it would take anywhere from a thousand to ten thousand years yeah we were all wrong yeah. so why should I believe anything you have to say yeah. and he said quote on camera and for the record he said you shouldn't oh my god yeah. Because we have no mathematical model for anything today. Yeah. It's all guessing. Yeah. I started the show by reading that glaciers are melting twice as fast. Yeah. Do you realize what that's going to do to water tables? Oh, of course. When because there's no it, more glaciers. Of course. I mean, look at the Andes. The, the Andean people are totally dependent on, on the glaciers. There are seven states uh, in the United States dependent on the Rocky, the snow melt from the Rockies. I was at, uh, in Utah for the Sundance Film Festival for a wonderful film called Flow for Love of Water, which um, I'm hoping that people will be able to see soon if we can get it um, into theaters. Um, but I was stunned. I mean, there, you know, this, this, the, the snow on the, the call, we call the mountains water towers because, you know, they, they're the holders of half the world's water. They're cutting down the trees and the shrubs so fast there, you know, to build new uh, ski runs and these ticky-tacky so little up, condos. The, the very and, people who support Bill Clinton, uh, Obama, Hillary Clinton, and George Bush, and all these other people, yeah. the yuppies from hell, <laughs> have never seen an environment so pure they couldn't adulterate for yeah. their egos. Yeah, it was a stunning. And I, I mean, even in this little ticky-tacky condo that I was in, I, there were no signs about, you know, please care for our water, we're running out or whatever. And there, You don't I like tell to the rich to were, care for anything. There were two two speeds on, on my shower, off and hurt. Like, it, it showered so hard, it was kind of like, you know, it's, it's turn this thing off. It was just the... It's it's just the hubris of of now. Let me just tell you though. I think this because I, I I also want to talk about hope and what's happening there. It's not like that in other parts of the world. There are parts of the world where people know now because people are dying now. And there is a global I call it a global water justice movement or water warriors we call ourselves, and we really are fighting back. And there is a, we've had wonderful successes in communities around the world. It is beginning to arrive here. We've had some reverses of major privatizations because privatization of water systems is not the answer. Good public water, clean water, taken care of by responsible governments and by citizens who are more, as you say, much more um, responsible than we are now yet. Uh, But we've had some wonderful successes, including bringing back uh, watersheds. I stood in in this exquisite 
place in Bogota, Colombia last year, and this, this the Bogota River goes through this big, filthy, dirty third world city, right? And it is filthy. And like all the pictures you've seen of garbage and kids in garbage and the filthy water, all of that, yes. But there are 16 reclamation projects there that eventually want to reclaim the whole river because it feeds, the, it's the water source for the city. And I stood in one and the, with the Aboriginal people, the Indigenous people there who they didn't move off the property, they have now, they're there now, the caretakers. This was an acre, this was an area that had been reclaimed that was so big I thought I was in the middle of the country. All of the flowers and the trees came back, the birds came back, the fish came back. I just remember Gerard Manley Hopkins' wonderful, um, the poet, the, his wonderful line that there is a deep dearness down in things. I thought the earth can recover if we will just step back and let it. You well, know? we won't. I, we, we can't. Do you understand that we're involved in a manifest destiny with all the political correctness? We are incapable because of our selfishness and our incapacity to live in anything but denial and to live with the illusion that we're not responsible and therefore let someone else take care of it. Where's Ralph Nader? The same Ralph Nader they wouldn't vote for president, who should be president, would be able to say the truth of what we needed to do. The same Rachel Carson. If Rachel Carson were day, she'd probably be in jail someplace because she would be reminding people something that was so painful so when you talk about European Union, yes, the European Union countries went through enough suffering. They're aware, and I think that they will be leading. They're leading on some of this. But let me tell you, they're taking it out on the global south. And it's a really important thing for people to know. The European Union has its act together around climate change, around water. They've got this wonderful protection and provision of watersheds. There's no question about that. However, what they're doing is it's their corporations that are taking the water rights away from people in the global south. <clears throat> I talked to some European Union parliamentary members, liberals, and I said to them, if a public water system was good enough for Europe and, and North America, how come it's not good enough for people in the third world? And they said to me, well, we know how to do it properly here. They don't know how to do it there. So we're sending our corporations to teach them. And these corporations are going in. Oh, they're privatizing? Privatizing that's wrong. With, the, with the World Bank. And, but, so that, the I world, think the Europe, that's a separate issue. Well, no, but Europe has to be judged, not just about how it's, it's, it's behaving in its own territory. I visited this gorgeous Lake Naivasha, which is where out of Africa was filmed in the Rift Valley in Kenya. And it's now being destroyed by European rose farms, they, these uh, rose companies that surround the lake because it takes a lot of water to grow roses. So instead of using their water in Europe because they're protecting their water, they're growing all these roses there. Destroying the lake, it will be, and I quote, a putrid puddle, according to a group of scientists, within five to ten years. Destroying the last wild hippopotamus herd in eastern Africa so that everybody can have roses on Valentine's Day. And the big uproar before Valentine's Day was that the conflict in Kenya might influence, you know, whether the flowers will get there or not. So we have to be judged not only by That's how we treat... That's pure decadency. Well, of course, but we're... I just my point is only that, I, I, you know, I, I, I think what's important, because I don't want to have no hope. I think that it, I believe hope is a moral oh, imperative. I didn't, I, no, I, I didn't, know you're I didn't not. say there's no hope. I have I, a great deal of hope. I just, I'm not spending you, no, my time. No, of Look, course. I'm not ever going to go out there and tell the, holist, uh, tell the straight doctor how they should practice medicine. Right. But I will certainly be always available to share insights with any doctor who chooses to learn alternative right. approaches. Yeah. The same with him. I believe that what we should do in the United States, Canada, and everywhere is we should start local grassroots efforts to educate ourselves about water conservation. Yes, I agree. And then reclamation, watersheds, 
and in, with intent not do anything that will in any way diminish the quality of water and do everything we can to enhance it. I'm doing a project upstate New York in the very near future where I'm going to show people how to have 100% energy self-sustained, wind and, and water with a windmill and, and a watermill and um, also solar and how to grow organic and how to, in effect, make your life sustainable. Right. When you do that and then you show people what's possible and you put it up on the Internet so they right. can do it step by step, then you're starting to sprout. Yeah. No, I, I, I deeply, so that's the hope. No, no, I deeply agree with you. But I want to say that those communities are are, are are alive and well, and they are they are going. To, it's going to come from the ground up. I mean, yes. you, you rightly challenged me earlier, saying really don't expect the, the the leaders to to lead in this way. They're simply not going to do it. They're going to lead from the old mindset and the old paradigm. We've got to come at it from a different perspective, and that's why I call the book is called Blue Covenant: The Global Water Crisis and the Coming Battle for the Right to Water. Because I want people to have this notion that we need a covenant with the earth. We've got to stop polluting. We source protection, um, stop overmining groundwater, conservation and reclamation of watersheds are the most and important have the things courage, we can do. And have the courage politically yes. to say no more building. That's right. Yeah, we're nowhere. This this notion of growth, I quote an American environmentalist who said that unlimited growth has the same ideology as the cancer cell, has to turn on itself in order. And, and I would like to see to a political initiative of people moving out of non-sustainable areas. Yes. Move out of Florida, move yeah. out of Calif uh, yeah. Southern California, Mid-California, yeah. move out of Nevada uh, and, and those places and move to places where you have small communities yeah. where you have a better quality of life without the congestion, pollution, but also... Honoring the natural resources you have. Live in balance with those resources. Right. Stop eating junk food. When you stop eating animal protein, right. here's my rule. Don't eat anything with a heartbeat or a face. Right. All right? Unless it's a politician. That's <laughs> 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 an exception. When you can do that, you've already cut down on the water it takes That's right. to feed animals. And do you know that it takes only 60 gallons of water to grow a potato? Yeah. It takes... 12,000 gallons of water for a Big Mac hamburger, yeah. all right, yeah. a pound. Yeah. So what you have to do is you have to make a choice. So that's something we can do yeah. and stop buying anything with genetically modified soybeans because they're destroying 32,000 acres of the lower Amazon rainforest mm -hmm. per day. Mm -hmm. And to I grow would add, soybeans I would to ship out for absolutely. cattle. And I would add uh, industrial biofuels to that because to take yes. care of one problem, which oh, yeah. is the overuse of fossil fuels, we're using we're we're growing by we're using good land to to grow food to to feed cars and it's using enormous amounts of water even more than even more than uh, uh, gasoline uh, yeah I, I use an example in the book of California where they're with the subsidized biofuel plans agricultural biofuels um, they 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 would have to have another third of the Colorado or a year river a year they don't have it and Obama and Clinton both support that yeah. Not, not. There's no mention no, of it in there. Is, in, no, I know it's it's quite. No, stunning. they no, they did. They, yes, they, they mentioned they no, support no, biofuels. And no I'm mention. saying, for someone who claims to be that smart, right. why is why are his actions so clearly non? Beneficial because he's in the old paradigm. He is in that growth paradigm, and he even talks about powering up, and the rest of the world. And we're nuclear. Talk, we're They're talking about poly, uh, I'm anti-nuclear. Yeah, of course. A hundred percent. I did a documentary on it. Uh, uh, well, the big plans for desalination plans now are, are, nuclear. are nuclear. Go yeah, nuclear, and there are dozens being big planned mistake. around the world. Well, we have to just keep doing this. I want to invite you back to talk about the World Bank okay. as a program. All right. 
I'm opposed to the World Bank. I think it should be closed, the International Monetary Fund. I'm with you. I'm also opposed to the form of globalization we have. I'm with you. Privatization of any natural resource. But I also, today is the beginning, just the beginning of the comeuppance to Wall Street. The average person is not going to be affected directly, but the people, the billionaires, the millionaires, the hedge funds, the people trading commodities like food and water and electricity yeah. and, and that they shouldn't in oil, they're taking a bath. This bath is just beginning. They've just felt, felt the first few drops. Yeah. The average bank on Wall Street has a 26 to 1 ratio of debt and asset on that debt against actual cash. So they have all of Wall Street, all of it is a house of cards. There is no stability. And now we saw one company go from $170 a share to $2 a share. That's a loss of $139 billion in under a year. And yet that money wasn't helping that they were making, helping the average American. There was nothing sustainable. There's no new commitment to the environment, to infrastructures, yeah. to building to new bridges. Yeah. No, no, nothing that would help yeah. the local community. Yeah. So when all we do is worship how much money we can make, in a short period of time, uh, the hedge funds I'm opposed to, all of them. The equity buyout, I'm opposed to all of them. The way Wall Street allows itself to work in gambling and derivatives and futures, which does nothing to help the average person. It's a feeding orgy that's been going on for a long time, and the average American has not looked at how in the world did these people make all that money. They made it on gambles that not one of those gambles paid off for anybody of an average person. We've taken an enormous hit. Now we're looking back, and now they shouldn't be bailed out. They should be allowed to fail. They should be able to go in the same unemployment line and let those 300,000 a year young lawyers, the young Turks, the young wolves of Wall Street, let them go in an un unemployment line with see a, what it uh, feels like. W w see what it's like yeah. to actually have to yeah. live a life. So I want to talk about this in depth. I'll come back. And right. just before we say goodbye, I just want to tell people if they want more information on water, go to a wonderful website here called foodandwaterwatch.org. Um, I'm chair of the board. Winona Howder is the wonderful executive director. And um, people can get involved in reclaiming our water, reclaiming water sanity and security. I thank you for all the work you're doing. Thank you, Gary. And I look forward to having you back, and we'll do a series of one-hour programs on some of the crisis, the problem, and the solution. And please understand, I am, I am very much a realist. I wouldn't do any show if I didn't have a solution. Right. I just no longer trust any institution yeah. that's in power that right. caused the problem then to automatically say they're going to solve it because right. they're in a position to do so. Right. I don't trust the major media to tell me the truth of what's going on in the world, especially on issues they've helped participate and been cheerleaders for. I believe almost all change must come from the average person waking up and finally being responsible for important choices. Well, I'm with you. Thank okay. you. Thanks. Nice to see you. Nice to see you, too. From our studios, live in New York City, Maude Barlow, and she is doing tremendous work out there helping us, and we'll look forward to having her back to talk about some of these other important issues.